I do invite you as you're able to stand for the reading and the hearing and the blessing of God's holy word today. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. John. Listen for the word of the Lord. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas paused Jesus at this point point, said, How can we know the way? To which Jesus said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. Yes, no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus would go on to say, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, and because I live, you also will live. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, so do not let your heart be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. This is the word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, you are an instrument. You might not believe it. You might be hearing it for the first time, but your life is an instrument. It might be a violin like Dr. Joe or an organ like Dr. Koble, or maybe a raspy kazoo in your estimation, <laughs> but you are an instrument. And there's a song that God is trying to play through your life. We all have one. How we choose to be an instrument, the song we choose to play, it matters to God, it matters to the church, it should matter to us. Many of you know the prayer of St. Francis. All of us will have it committed to memory by the time uh, the Lenten season concludes. Uh, we will have artwork throughout these 40 days, like the John August Swanson piece on the cover of your bulletin. That original piece is in our friendship room, along with some other arts uh, depicting St. Francis, along with, uh, as well, the, the books, the resources I'll be using throughout this sermon series. I hope you'll make your way there. I hope you'll bring some of your own Francis pieces as we turn the friendship room there into kind of an art gallery to help us understand and to see Francis uh, more clearly. Uh, musical renditions of Francis's prayer will be a part of our Lenten journey as well. But for all of that, related to the prayer of St. Francis, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace, how much do we actually know about Francis's life, and why should Francis himself matter for Lent? That's our, our question for the outset, though. Uh, Francis's life is, is so interesting. Jason has begun alluding to that. It was one of privilege, and it was one of great wealth. His father was a successful business owner back in the uh, 12th century. Francis was born in 1181. Uh, Francis's life was kind of complicated. It was one of, of um, living uh, chivalrous, and it was one of pride and depression, and also repentance and redemption and conviction, rebirth, and, and ultimately he was declared a saint. He had quite a roller coaster of a life. 
His family dynamic at home was complicated. His father missed his own baptism. His mother took, took it upon herself to have Francis baptize Giovanni uh, for John the Baptist. His father was infuriated and said, I will not have a holy man. I will have a businessman for a son. And he renamed him Francesco, Francis. Francis never wanted for anything because of his family's wealth. He could paint the town, and the town would give him the colors and the keys that he wanted to do it. If he was ever picky or needy, people adapted and bent to Francis. He never wanted for anything. Within his bones, what he, he wanted personally was to become a knight. He wanted to be a, a wartime hero. And the challenge with that is he wasn't a very good soldier. <laughs> he went into a nearby town, Perugia, where he was captured. So many of his townsmen were savagely killed in that battle, but not Francis. He was spared. He was spared only because of his family's wealth, and he became a pawn of war. He spent a year as a prisoner of war until he was finally he was finally ransomed. His family paid to get him out of. You would think that spending one day or one week or one year as a prisoner of, of war would change one's life. One might not choose to go back to a lewd living or, or to that type of lifestyle, but it, he did not give up on that. He returned to it. And when his town of Assisi declared war on a neighboring town, Francis believed that this was his chance. He even had his own armor commissioned, and it was so beautiful, it had inlaid uh, gold. I think it was kind of a filigree myself. I think it was really quite fancy. He thought he was going to ride into this battle a night and ride out of it a prince, but on the way, his soul began to stir. He began to hear the voice of God, and that voice said, turn around, Francis, and go back to your home. And so he was so convicted by it that he did. He felt for sure that he would have embarrassed his father and his family and his town would call him a coward or, or try him for treason. Francis returned after being a prisoner of war and after this, this 180 degree turn, he returned broken and depressed and without direction and full of fear and chaos. His, his weather was disrupted in his soul. And so he turned to praying and he turned to writing and he turned to traveling the countryside still on a business route, but he committed to things like silence and solitude, some of the practices we know for the Lenten journey, and he would oftentimes go into a dark cave, and, and there he would pray and try to find time to connect with, with God, and, and his life was beginning to, to take on a different form. He was pursuing a higher form of, of chivalry than, than knighthood, so much that his convictions became stronger and stronger, uh, even seeing a leper beside the road smelling a leper beside the road. Francis dismounted, and he reached down to, to kiss the leper, and one of the most profound moments in Francis's life is when the leper kissed him back. And he said, in that moment of vulnerability, of kissing a leper and being kissed by a leper, Francis felt this joy and this peace he had never experienced before. His life was beginning to change. When he saw a war-torn unclothed veteran returning, he took off of his fancy clothes and put them on the veteran. And instead, he put on scratchy clothes. 
as he began at this point to take apart the vows of serving God only. The most notable part of Francis's conversion uh, happened at the San Domiano Chapel where Francis stopped to pray. This is, this is important to our season together. The chapel was in shambles uh, from age and from weather, but mostly because of war. It didn't have a roof on it, and there were piles of, of rubble and debris all throughout it. There was a Byzantine cross that was still present where Francis was able to kneel and, and to pray and just to spend some time in silence and, and in solitude. And in that moment of praying, he heard, he heard a voice come from that cross, the voice of Jesus, and that voice of Jesus said, Francis, rebuild my house, rebuild my church. You can imagine how perplexed Francis must have been being there by himself and hearing this, this audible voice. And he heard it again, Francis, rebuild my church. Rebuild my church. Rebuild my church. And Francis said, I don't know how to rebuild a church. You know, I'm just a rich kid who's trying to figure this life out. I don't know how to build a church. But he looked over and he saw some, some rubble and he said, well, there's one piece. And I can put back, that back in the wall. And here's another piece and I, I can fit it right here. Here's another piece, and so one piece at a time, I, I can help rebuild a church. He needed some mortar because the pieces weren't staying in there. And he didn't have the revenue source as he was becoming more and more distanced from his father. That relationship became more and more complicated. So Francis sold all of his, his fancy clothes and all of his belongings, and he used that money to start buying building materials to rebuild the church. He would build several of these over the course of the next few years. What he would go on to understand by that phrase, rebuild my church, is that Jesus was talking about people. Rebuild my people. Rebuild lives, repair lives that are broken and damaged by war and by injustice and by complicated relationships, and by poverty, and by hunger. Repair those lives, Francis. And somewhere from that weighted blanket of depression, from the ashes of his war-torn country, from a, a fragmented family dynamic, from deep guilt and shame, from the way he had lived his life up until this point, somewhere uh, from the rubble of his own story, Francis penned these words, which is a prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. How is it that one who needs to be repaired and rebuilt can repair and rebuild others? I wonder if Francis thought that. I think it's, it comes from a, a place, a posture of becoming, choosing to become an instrument of the Almighty God. By all accounts, Francis possessed everything that, that we would call peaceful living, portfolios, I'm at peace. You know, a great friend group. Social life is great. Started checking off. And extern, externally, it seemed like Francis had everything he needed to know peace. But that's not the type peace of which Christ speaks, nor which Francis sought. 
I also thought, uh, in talking with Dr. C about this over the past few weeks, we, we talked about Mother Teresa, who, who took a vow to care for the sick and the impoverished, and, and she wrestled with, with many uh, deep, dark nights of the soul as well. And she finally came to a place that, that discovering the, the deep peace of Christ comes through abandonment of self, like Francis. And so Teresa would pray every day, Lord, help me to spread your fragrance uh, wherever I go. And when they look up at me, the children specifically, when they look up at me, don't let them see me, but let them see you. Do you hear how that's, that's a different type of living? The shedding of self to be an instrument of peace? John Wesley, who founded the Methodist movement, he took on a similar role. He was a very lucrative preacher and, and teacher, and he traveled extensively. But he famously said, if I die with, with 10 pounds, you can call me a thief or a robber because I should have given more away. Peace for Wesley came through generosity. Peace for Teresa. Peace for Francis came through abandoning self, pouring out oneself for the sake of, of another human being who needed peace, and therefore they found peace. The Son of God, Jesus the Christ, gave up the throne of heaven to take on human suffering with the poor and the marginalized, the forgotten, the overlooked. He said, I have not come for the righteous. I've, I've come for those who are sick. Isaiah called Jesus the Prince of Peace, the repairer of breaches, the restorer of ruined homesteads, the rebuilder of ancient ruins. All the repairs people needed in this world that came through Jesus came through one who was bruised for our iniquities and by whose stripes of all things we are healed. Peace and healing and wholeness and unity, harmony, it comes through giving. It comes through sacrifice. In each of these examples, there's this common thread that stems from the Prince of Peace who told his, his disciples in this text today from John 14. He told them right before, here, before this text how difficult life would be for them. You're going to be like lambs thrown to the wolves. And he told them in chapter 13, uh, you're going to need to wash the feet, the nasty, traveled, calloused, dirty feet, just as I'm washing your feet, of your friends and your enemies, by the way. He would tell them things like, a new commandment now exists, and I give you that commandment, and the new commandment is that you love one another, because love wins, not hate. And serving is the highest value, not being served. It is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Jesus would tell his disciples how they would abandon him in his greatest hour of need. I just need you to pray, fellas. Stay with me. And they would abandon him. That's not the abandonment Jesus had in mind. But in the foretelling of how all this would happen, Jesus said, but guys, let me tell you something. My peace I give you. And it's not a peace like the world gives. This is of great interest for us at the outset of Lent. What is the difference between the world's peace and the peace of Christ? We pass it every single Sunday. We pass the peace of Christ, don't we? 
And some people do the peace of Christ this way. I get it. It's fun. Peace of Christ be with you and also with you. Why do we pass the, the peace of, of Christ? What is it about the peace of Christ that we possess that we feel so um, comfortable sharing with someone else and receiving from, from someone else? Well, we're trying to become instruments of a peace that we cannot create ourselves. The world's peace is based on managing status quo, meeting expectations, checking societal boxes, you know, keep things at peace, keep everything happy, play the game, don't disrupt the apple cart, fit into the mold. And, and in Jesus' day, the, uh, the peace of the world was the Pax Romana. It was a peace of Rome. Abide by the sword. Make sure you say Jesus is Lord and no one else, and you'll be at peace. Pay your taxes on time, even when they're leveraged overnight and we don't give you a heads up, and you'll be at peace. No skirmishes, no uprisings, and we'll be at peace. Jesus offered peace not as the world gives, but as the world deeply needs. And it's interesting because the peace of Christ is, is a type peace that will divide and unite. It will divide those who seek power and control from those who are willing to do the hard work of mercy and justice and mutuality. And then that same peace will turn right back around and say, I need all of you at the table together. Hmm. Lord, make me an instrument of peace. Peace comes through self-emptying. Make me an instrument of that. Peace comes through abandonment from shedding the garments of, of self and putting on the garments of Christ, as Paul says. Peace comes by giving up oneself for a greater cause. It comes by thinking about the livelihood of another human more than one's own livelihood. Peace comes through emptying oneself of all that stands between Christ and those in, in need. What are we doing as instruments of peace, even tools of peace, to move whatever barriers exist between Christ and those who need Christ? Those who need peace, those who are oppressed and experiencing injustices in this world. Wesley said one, he, he was even more bold. <laughs> one cannot be a Christian unless one cares for the poor and is in proximity to the poor. It's an irony there, a paradox even, that to experience peace, we have to place ourselves in relationship with situations that might not be very peaceful. There's a Peruvian theologian, uh, Gutierrez, who once asked, you say you care about the poor? Okay. Well, what are their names? Oh, that stings, doesn't it? What am I doing to abandon myself and even the expectations of this office to rid even these, these fancy garments long enough to help another human find peace? Why don't I know the names of those sleeping on our streets or in our food lines? Because you see, until you and I are ready to help another person find and experience peace through justice and wholeness and healing, we will not truly understand peace ourselves. Peace comes through proximity. I want you to hear that. We learned this from a God who became one of us and spent time disrupting the peace by ensuring that all people have a shot at peace. <laughs> 
We learn proximity through Francis's life of self-denial, through Mother Teresa, uh, through, through Wesley, through our community partners who are on the front lines of helping people find peace every day. Proximity to people, proximity to poverty, proximity to poverty, uh, to problems that need addressing and solving, proximity to places no one wants to go, proximity to conversations that have been overlooked and swept away but need to come and, and sit in a space together. Peace comes through placing ourselves in the divided, chaotic, stormy, messy stories of our human condition. And if we will just release, be open palms and not closed fists, if we'll be open palms and look into the eyes of those who are broken and hurting, even if that involves a mirror, then in that moment we have met, we've entered the space where the Prince of Peace will find us. I think that's why Francis said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace, because instruments, they can't play themselves, they can't tune themselves. Francis is in some way offering this concession, this confession, tune my out-of-tune dissonant life to your will and to your peace because I can't do this on my own. If that's not a Lenten prayer, I don't know what is. We're all an instrument to be played and to be used for unity, for the song of unity, the song of peace, the harmonies of hope. And we're all a little bit out of tune. How will we present ourselves as holy and living sacrifices, as instruments of the peace of Christ? Finding peace is a choice. Remaining peaceful is a choice. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peace what? Makers. It's the hard work. We choose to be instruments of peace, to abandon all the cloaks and mantles that we wear, all the masks, as we said on Ash Wednesday, all the masks that we bear that hide our true selves. We, we leave all of that behind for Lent and we roll up our sleeves and we kiss the lepers and we clothe the veterans of foreign wars and we sell our belongings to help Christ rebuild the church. We choose proximity. Proximity to God, proximity to one another, proximity to those who need peace. Deep peace. Our choir is prepared to use their instruments to remind us of the peace that lies within all of us.